When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wrestling punditry because we are slamming it back in your ear holes here this Thursday with the latest episode of the Winkly. I am your host, the managing editor, WrestlingInc.com, Nick Houseman. Joined here as I am just about every Thursday by my very good friend, my 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 buddy, helping me sell lemonade at our lemonade stand store here today. It is Justin Labar. Justin, welcome back to the Winkly. Lemonade here. Lemonade. Lemonade and cookies. You can pay us, or they're free. <laughs> I am, that's a joke that, that's the that joke, that's only funny to me because uh i was at a lemonade stand last week and that and when i asked the kids about how much i owed them they said i could pay them or it was free that was what they said <laughs> i like to say uh one for five or two for ten i gave them a dollar they gave me a little shotgun dixie cup filled with lemonade and a cookie and i was on my way buddy i had helped commerce i had helped to teach those children capitalism <laughs> All right. Well, we have a lot of news to get here today for Thursday, especially pretty deep uh, news uh, day for the past 24 hours. But we also have got some big interviews for you here. Uh, first of all, right after the news, you're going to hear back on the show. This is his second appearance since he's uh, been back on the Indies away from WWE. Uh, of course, he's now back in Impact Wrestling as well. He is a former Cruiserweight champion. He's going to be heading to his mother's home country of Manila this October to do a show with PWR. It is TJP, the former TJ Perkins in the house here today uh, also right after the interview with tjp uh this one uh, you know again if i said it before yesterday if you like the nick mondo piece the guy who uh, did the videos for john moxley that the jailbreak video you're gonna love this interview here today it's with craig mitchell he's an independent wrestler one of the founding members the ogs of freelance wrestling here in chicago and he is ali's personal videographer he's helped ali put together the videos you see on a uh, smackdown in the pay-per-views and sometimes even raw as of late uh very cool talk uh, a lot of insight into what it's like to work directly with Ali and, you know, what they're trying to say and do with these vignettes and these promos that Ali's been doing. So uh, sit back, relax. A lot to get to here today. Let's start it off. News you can use. News that'll leave a bruise. We're going to start off with some numbers here today. WWE SmackDown this past Tuesday night drew an average of $2.12 million. Uh, it is up a whopping 15% from last week where they did one point eight five three. This was the best SmackDown viewership since April 16th. The Superstar Shakeup episode was through 2.219. Uh, Justin, what do you attribute to this jump for what I thought was a pretty meh SmackDown episode this past Tuesday night? I attribute that increase in viewership because people were hanging on, waiting to get what they were teased for for the day or two leading up to it, which is Daniel Bryan has some major career-altering announcement. And for a guy who we've seen 
come out on live TV and have to retire, who we've seen come out and unretire, who we've seen hijack a show and end up working his way into a main event. If you promote to me that Dan O'Brien has some career-altering announcement, I'm going to tune in. And I, I I said this at the post-Smackdown show on Wrestling Inc. Tuesday night to Glenn and Matt. Even when the that last match uh, was taking place, I figured, okay, this this match is going to end, and like maybe Brian, like like we're going to see Brian, like they're going to they're going to they're going to give us something before the show's over, more than than the, you know, than what they did. I mean, I, I totally attribute it to that. Yeah, that I, people wanted to see Daniel Bryan. I think it was. I think you're right. I think it was partly Daniel Bryan. Um, I think that it was partly the Bischoff bump too. I think that this was, you know, this week it, it wasn't promoted by WWE, but it sure as hell has been promoted across, you know, three or four different, uh, you know, insider news outlets here for the past month plus you know this was the week Heyman and Bischoff were supposed to take over I think that there was a I think there was a, a group of people that tuned in for that as well I, I would agree yes yeah so I think that I think it was a double bump there and uh, for whatever look Smackdown was up this week you know it, it, whether or not they retain it I couldn't find in the in the breakdown here on the site the hour one to hour two numbers but you know there there's your average there um, well on the note of Bischoff here uh, pwinsider.com Noting that Eric arrived in Connecticut uh, this week, he's reported to the SmackDown head or the WWE headquarters today. He's in Stanford right now, as we're chatting. He's officially there. First of all, uh, that's uh, wild that Eric is now actually working out of WWE headquarters, isn't it? It is. Um, I mean, and it make I mean, like it makes sense that he would relocate. I mean, I mean, but you have to think about it. Like he's picked up his whole, he picked up his family, he picked up his, you know, you know this. He loved his life in Wyoming. Sure. Um, and he's now, you know, now living in what is not Wyoming. <laughs> uh, for anybody who's familiar with that Stanford, Connecticut area, and so I mean that, so that that, that tells you a few things. It's like you know, okay, this he must, you know, he must truly feel. I mean, he must truly feel that this is. Like this is going to be this is life for the for the foreseeable years in the future. I mean, because obviously, you know, everybody's different. It depends on what terms you work out. But there are people that work um, that work that have to be at the headquarters office in Stanford who live elsewhere, um, whether it be, you know, you know, road dog for the time. He would he would stay up there uh, while his family was still in Florida. I believe um, there's another writer whose name's escaping me. I think the, you know, moved back to like Ohio or somewhere and has family there and would just, you know, would just commute or stay in hotels or what have you so it's like it's not it's you know it's not mandatory necessarily for you to have to pick up your whole family and move there but he decided to do such which that you know that that says that speaks to me about what what how how serious this this is yeah well you know it's true i mean it's also you know living out on a ranch in montana it's a lot more expensive right to take care of a bunch of horses and things like that i would imagine the life in connecticut here maybe adjusting to a different lifestyle right as well Maybe it's a smart financial move to, to move to Connecticut as far as far as to, to stay on the ranch. Uh, well, he's I mean, he's, he's fair. I mean, Fairfield, Connecticut, the county that Stanford's in is like one of the most expensive counties in the entire country. I don't know financially. I don't know if he's I'd saving say, a buck or not. But yeah, a lot of land out in, in Montana. I know that. And I think he might still. Have, I don't know if he still has his house in Arizona, too. I think he has two houses. Was, was he in Montana or Wyoming? Wyoming. Wyoming. I'm sorry, not Montana. The other big open plot of land that's up uh, up north. Uh, and he's got a house there in, in uh, Arizona too, I believe. I think he may have kept that house. I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it, you know. Um, but yeah, Eric here now, now in there working in the offices. Like if this was the Monday Night Wars, it's crazy. I think Eric Bischoff in the WWE headquarters. Um, he, the Observer, reporting that Eric is not expected to be involved with the Blue Brand creative process. Uh, those at WWE creative were told that Bischoff will most likely be involved with the, or will most likely not be involved. With the creative process, looks like Bischoff's job will be to interface with the various departments of the company and work with Fox. 
Uh, he is still the leader of the SmackDown side of things. The brand currently has no leadership and runs off Ryan Ward and other writers pitching ideas to Vince McMahon. Um, this is, uh, you know, considering what we had read about the reports, even like what the press release WWE put out uh, had said, this is very different. This is a very different yeah. role. And I, I will say, too, with his move to Stanford, Connecticut, if you really are, because look, Eric, not Eric has just not been engaged with the with pro wrestling, any company on any level since, you know, Impact Wrestling here. To completely get in and, and, and figure out what you're getting into here, how to work with all of these hundreds of thousands of people, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds or thousands of people that you're going to have to get inter- interactive with. A um, little bit of starting at the bottom, working his way up into those positions. Maybe this maybe this could change, but I think that may also have something to do with the move to, to Stanford is how he really is going to have to be so invested here to figure out what the WTF, WTF is going on, on the inside before you can really make any changes. Yeah, this is a curveball. If 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 the observer or Meltzer are correct on this, this is a curveball from what we've been led to believe. You know, ever since you know end of June when it was announced that Bischoff and Payman, you know, have been hired as creative directors and they're going to report directly to Vince. Um, you know, there's been all this, like I said, countdown leading up to this week of you know maybe creative changes being implemented. We've seen it, you know, with with Heyman on Raw. Uh, so this is a curveball. Yeah, I, I can only assume that's kind of what you what, what you said is. You know, initially, it's just going to be kind of, you know, just figuring out what is what. And then maybe he steps in. I mean, because I mean, obviously, if, if, if he's the one that everybody else involved with SmackDown has to answer to, if, if the only other person that can trump him is Vince McMahon, obviously, he can make creative changes and, and what have you. If, if he chooses to do so, he maybe he just won't choose to do so until he feels like he has the best best understanding of where, where you know, where they're going. And I can see the point of him being there, not just to. Uh, book storylines and such, I can understand that he, you know, strength of his would be to, you know, coordinate, you know, a move of one of WWE's two biggest shows to a new network, you know, considering Eric's a TV guy. I mean, I, I get that, but I mean, this is, yeah, this, this is a curve from what we were, what we were originally, uh, you know, led to believe would, would kick off on this particular week. Yeah, it, it definitely. So, and you know, I, in my gut, I kind of had a sense that this was something we were going to get some kind of piece of news like this this week and that Eric wasn't actually going to take over creative because I definitely heard some rumblings about people that were trepidatious at best uh, about Eric moving to this position. I mean, again, I point back to Booker T who I think has, you know, obviously been the most outspoken about, you know, Eric uh, possibly moving into that role there. And, you know, at the same time, you know, I look back at that week uh, or the the last two weeks, really not this week, but the last two weeks, you know, that, that one raw where we had the big opener that, that Heyman was credited for. And then the week after on SmackDown, where we had the, the Kevin Owens push really get going, where he did all those CM Punk ass things. I always looked at that and I was like, Heyman's getting, Heyman is, Heyman jumped in when there was this opportunity, I feel like right now, and put his fingerprints on as much as possible. And I, I wonder if that made it more difficult for Eric, uh, who had to wait a little bit to get in, in the mix to really get into that creative position. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that I rambled my way into a point or not. Well, I'll tell you what's what what's difficult. What, what's going? You know what what what's a double-edged sword is in this day and age with, with the amount of information and talk that there is about you know the inner about everything with that goes on in the business is that if you're a person if you're a name that fans know. So like the Road Dog had to deal with this. Any anybody who's on the creative team who the fans know, so you know a wrestler or any prominent name, you know Bischoff Heyman, you're it's a double-edged sword because now you take on all the credit and all the blame. If you know if something really bad happens, uh, oh that God, man, look at that. You know Bischoff's ruining SmackDown, but if something good happens. Look, all oh, that must be good. You know even if it's something that you know on that particular story or issue, he didn't really have a say in or didn't necessarily endorse you know that's 
that's the thing about you know that that's what kind of sucks i guess in a way is that everybody now, now all the fans that are aware that bischoff is now you know the creative director of smackdown uh but if in but if in reality he's not going to be making a yes and no decisions right now on, on a lot of creative if he's just going to kind of be just generally organizing things and just you know what have you yeah, that sucks for him in the way because anytime now that something you know like this past tuesday it was like you know, I, you know, when we heard, OK, he wasn't involved in this one, I was like, well, that that make, you know, good for him not having to get any blame attached to this one. But, you know, that's that, that's that's the unfortunate part of being a prominent name known to be on the creative staff. Is you're going to you're going to get all those emotions and reactions. I wonder how long until he becomes an on-screen character, if he becomes an on-screen character, because like if he really isn't involved in creative, but everybody thinks he's in charge. This feels like something a creative team member would come to them and be like, hey, well, maybe we can use Eric in a way that we know has been useful to us in the past, which is as an on-screen character. Maybe, but you know, I know Heyman feels this way and you know, it's kind of like, that's kind of been somewhat of the resemblance of what, what, what some of the creative problems have been is, is, is having to move away from the same, you know, like, look, I mean, that's what's, what's one of the things you hear a lot of complaints about right now on SmackDown is the on-screen character of Shane McMahon. I, I don't know if, I mean, it might be best if they try to get out of that and uh, away, away from that. I mean, that, you know, you know, Baron Corbin on raw as the, whatever he, you know, as whatever he was constable or whatever. I mean, like, you know, they, they, that's, you know, you're never, we're never going to recreate Vince and Austin magic. So I, I, maybe, I don't know if that's the best thing to do is to trot him out there as such. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you know, we got Shane McMahon now. He's the new Vince. Maybe, maybe it's not Eric. Maybe it's Garrett. Maybe Garrett Bischoff, Shane McMahon, head to head. Just throwing it out there. Who knows? Uh, the Observer uh, recently had uh, uh, the Observer reporting that Fox recently had a meeting with its affiliates. Uh, actually, it happened yesterday to talk about their fall schedule. Now, since Smack, here's a couple. I thought these notes were pretty cool coming out of this report. Now, since SmackDown will be part of the Fox Sports block every Thursday to Sunday in the fall, the network reportedly wants WWE promoted as a legitimate sport that is a choreographed sports presentation, although the outcomes of the matches are predetermined. Did you follow that one? Uh, I think. Okay. Where's the Where's the ball? Which cup? Which cups it under here? Real fake. Real yeah, right. fake. SmackDown will air 51 weeks per year on Fox. It will be preempted for the uh, World Series each year. It is possible that SmackDown airs on FS1 for that one week. Uh, 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 this reminds me of the remember when they used to preempt Raw for the Westminster Dog Show for two weeks each year. I remember that very well. I was always very frustrated as a kid. <laughs> so I was like, why? I get it now as an adult. It's the same reason they're doing it here. Too much money in the World Series. Uh, Fox will also air a one-hour launch show in late September to build to the live Friday night debut on October 4th from the Staples Center in Los Angeles. The idea is that the one-hour special will introduce WWE and superstars to the Fox audience. WWE and Fox are planning a major promotion that will see WWE superstars take a moving truck to various-sized markets to promote the network change. Stop. Uh, what do you think of that idea? The truck, we're taking the truck from town to town. <laughs> well, I mean, I admire the, the, I don't know, the grassroots. Like I am, I admire the, let, let's just get out in front of people. I mean, I, I do admire that effort. Um, I'll be watching this closely. I mean, this is, you know, for wrestling fans, you know, we all feel excited You know, we all talk about like, oh, we've come such a long way, you know, of, of, of the evolution of, of pro wrestling and, and the fact that it, you know, it gets acknowledged in mainstream media as much as it does today. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's always still going to have, it's, it's, I mean, look, Fox isn't going to be able to avoid some of its heart some of its, you know, most ignorant hardened sports fans are going to go, eh, that crap ain't real. Why is it on my sports? You know I mean? It, it, it's going to happen. Um, I don't know why all wrestling haters sound like that. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. This is going to be interesting. This whole concept of, of it's, you know, we're going to present it as a legitimate sport, knowing that it has choreographed finishes. I mean, I, I'll be interested to see how they stick with it, how they, when and how do they have to pivot and, and, and say, okay, this isn't clicking or this is – this is um, con- contradicting things. I don't know, but I- I'm I'm very interested to see because this is I mean this is this is this is exciting stuff to you know for AEW when you when you have you know TNT basketball on and you hear them promoting AEW, then you if you got Fox and all their sports, you got them promoting you know WWE coming. I mean this is a very exciting for all of us who feel like we're all on the same wrestling team here that it's getting more uh, exposure and potential respect. So yeah, uh, I, yeah, the wording of that was just so weird here. And the truck, you know, the truck stuff. You know, this is what they did when they moved to USA, right? Or, uh, yeah, wait, remember they, yeah, the, we, we want characters and they had like, they kept showing up at the, the office or whatever. Anyway, that's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, a digital primer is also being planned, which will allow viewers to get a behind the scenes look at the WWE product. And this primer will teach viewers some of the insider terms. Um, and this is all well and good. I get it. You want hip fans and stuff, but I don't really know that you, I don't really know that that helps to like teach people what to work in a shoot and like how to blade. Is that what we're talking about? I don't really know what this means. Yeah, I had the same question. What kind of insider terms are they aiming for? I mean, like, I understand if you want to, like, try to treat it like a legitimate sport, but let's not comp- – I mean, like, I don't know. Like, there's a, there's a point where you pull the curtain back too much. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would bet baby face heel. Well, maybe those terms get addressed. Um, and uh, let's see here. Oh, this was, the, this was a big one here. Fox is also in talks to bring WWE NXT to, uh, to TV. There's speculation on NXT airing on FS1 head-to-head with whatever AEW's weekly TNT show will be, but that has not been confirmed. Now, I have heard this for months, like months. This has been brought to my attention that WWE could be building up its NXT brand and keeping it in the chamber as a bullet to shoot against whatever AEW does. I mean, you think about you know the kind of crowd AEW is trying to pull. It is much more closer to the NXT crowd than the Raw and SmackDown. So while this is all still speculation, this is another step in the direction of Fox talking about bringing NXT to TV, and I, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them going head-to-head with AEW. A couple of things with this. One, I mean, we've asked Triple H about this for years, even before Fox became in the fold of being you know, the, the official new home of, of SmackDown. We've always asked him about you know, NXT moving, you know, even if it was just USA Network. And he's always, I mean, he's always kind of danced around and just kind of said, you know, you know, always looking at whatever the best opportunity is. And, but he has also acknowledged that sometimes there's something kind of cool about it being just on the network and, and what have you. So I'm curious how he feels about it, uh, how he would feel about that. If he, you know, and also if now, if it goes to now, if it goes to Fox, if it goes to or if FS1 and it's part of this, you know, now, now that it goes there, I, I'd be curious, does Triple H get to remain in complete control of NXT like he has, or does, or does Vince now go, all right, now it's, now it's coming into play with, with my billion dollar deal here with Fox. I need to oversee some things and which that could be, troublesome i think as long as um, i think yeah. as long as you contain it to nxt and aew in some ways it almost makes raw and smackdown a bit more immune to be what they are and continue to be the just like money machines that the vince has built because nxt i could totally see them do, you know it's triple h in charge here i bet you totally see illusions back and forth more of an old school monday night war uh, flavor and it makes it look smaller in my opinion as compared to, to raw and smackdown and what they'll be doing and in some ways at the same time then you know it's it's a way to marginalize AEW. Whether or not it's successful, I, I mean, I see the logic here. I see the method to the mayhem, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and I want to think to that to the whole insider terms. I'll just think about this. I'll be curious too if how much of a stranglehold Vince has on terms that are being used. Like you know, obviously we always hear about the terms and words he doesn't want the commentators on Raw and SmackDown to use. But like you know, like you said, babyface or heel. Like 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 how 
how much the way you and I would talk, the way we would talk on a podcast uh, and just kind of openly talk about things. Like, I wonder how, how that vocabulary will, you know, what will be allowed in those shows or if Vince is going to, you know, try to censor anything on there or if he can censor anything on there. I don't know. Let me show you how we gimmick our announce tables. Now, just before they go <laughs> through the table, we pull this pin here. See, here's the pin. That's how you gimmick a table. Back to you. Renee. But seriously, like the first, like think about the first time that somebody on Fox says, think about the, you know, they, they say belt because they're probably so used to saying belt for like you know UFC or boxing. So think about like they say belt and like you know we, we all know Vince like it's not a belt, it's a title. Like so, I'll be, I'll just things like that. I'll be curious how that how 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 these how this plays well, imagine the first time a fox interviewer finds out the wrestlers aren't unionized and offers to negotiate a cba <laughs> yeah right <laughs> oh wait let me let me let me hire you a driver oh wait <laughs> let me call you an uber let me call you an uber to get you from chicago to milwaukee Oh, that's such a classic clip. Uh, it is believed. Also, last note here. Last note here coming out of these uh, these Fox uh, affiliate uh, talks. It is believed that the SmackDown 20th anniversary special will air as the premiere episode on Fox on October 4th. WWE is going to begin uh, begin promoting that special mid September. It was noted at the summit that there will be a lot of surprises on that show. Um, and on that note, uh, I'll sprinkle in here. Uh, but, but, but where's on my list here? Well, the rock anyway, Sammy Zayn was on Twitter. He noted he saw the rock at the performance center. Um, and, uh, he thanked him for donating for Sammy for Syria, but the rock is around. He was at the performance center. I think, I think he'll be at the SmackDown debut on Fox. I would hope again, it's in LA and that's a big move to go to Fox. I would hope so. Yeah, I think so. I think he's a surprise. Uh, well, somebody, uh, you're probably going to see on that show or at least the raw the week before. Uh, or the Monday before, Braun Strowman has signed a, a f- new four-year deal with WWE. Uh, good for him. Obviously, got that big win over Bobby Lashley at Extreme Rules. Uh, I've heard that Paul Heyman is a very big fan of this guy. I, I'm happy to hear we're going to see more of him. And uh, four-year deal. That was the that was the swerve for me because now everybody who's signing deals, it always you know in the in the in the sheets, it's always saying, well, it's speculated they signed a five-year deal. WWE trying to sign five years. No, not the case. This one was a four-year deal. Different. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I mean, I don't really know if there's any, anything to it or if it was just, uh, you know, okay, in four years you'll be this age. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But uh, I, all I could think was, all right, if they just gave, you know, if they just gave, you know, the 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 the, the gals and Anderson whatever they gave them to get, to get them to stay, if they gave Mike and Maria whatever they gave them, and, and up to this point, up up until just recently, they were, you know, you know, used sparingly or at least in odd situations. You know, Braun obviously has been a you know a big player for them. Um, I imagine what I can only imagine what his contract. How, how you know, good for him? How nice it looks. PWInsider.com reporting that WWE has plans to film a match between Drake Maverick and R-Truth for the 24/7 Championship at San Diego Comic Con this weekend. Uh, Carmella suggested to Truth on SmackDown that he hide out at San Diego Comic Con to avoid Drake Maverick. Maverick, the perfect plan. The perfect plan. No word on if that plan is to do a title change right now, but it should also be noted that Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins will be there hosting the WWE Mattel panel, um, which is going on. I think it's happening right now, actually, as we're speaking. I think they're about 20 minutes into the panel. So uh, in the last in the, in the time since we've started recording, Justin, uh, I think that we've probably seen Drake hold the title. I think we've seen Truth win it back, and then I think we've seen a couple title changes here with, with Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's cool. They're, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, it's huge. That'll be, that'll be cool if they film something there. Yeah. Um, and on the note of Drake Maverick, 
Uh, he and Michael Bennett, or Mike, uh, Mike Canellis here. So I wrote Mike Bennett into the run sheet. Him and uh, Mike Canellis uh, had a little confrontation on 205 Live this past Tuesday night that we didn't talk about on the show yesterday. Have you had a chance to, to check out the, uh, the back and forth between Drake and Mike? I have not. It's pretty good. It's, it's, it's very good, actually. I would highly recommend it. Um, basically, it's uh, Mike Canellis here taunting Maverick for being short, not making love to his wife. Uh, neglecting his 205 Live GM duties so that he could chase the 24-7 championship. He said he resigned with WWE, even though he could have gone anywhere he wanted because he wants to win the Cruiserweight title. And uh, Maverick tries to stand up for himself, and Canellis takes it to the point where he's about to say some very negative things about Drake's wife, and, you know, Drake pops him. Anyway, uh, Drake Maverick has said that Mike Canellis can get a Cruiserweight title match if he can beat him, uh, presumably, I would think, on this coming 205 Live. And uh, I just want to put this over here because it has gotten a lot of buzz. Did a lot of traffic on the site. I'm happy that there is something going on in 205 Live right now that is emotionally driven and has people on the hook. And I just want to encourage everyone to go check this one out because I thought the the back and forth was very, very good between these two. I'll have to check it out. There you go. Uh, and we were talking NXT earlier. WWE Silver Bullet potentially here. Uh, Johnny Gargano is going to take on Adam Cole for the NXT Championship in a 2 out of 3 falls rubber match at TakeOver here coming up SummerSlam weekend. Uh, each man is going to get to choose a stipulation for the first two falls, and then William Regal is going to choose the stipulation for the third fall if needed. I mean, these guys have always delivered. This this should be a great main event for TakeOver. Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I, I have a strong dislike for two out of three falls matches, and I've expressed that recently as we've seen more of it you know than than we should um but i you know but the one thing that always has stuck out and people do cite is the you know the three stages of hell so the fact that at least the stipulations put onto it to at least you know give it some more excitement and purpose i'm i'm fine with that and of course these two guys are just you know incredible athletes so i'm sure it'll be nothing short of spectacular maybe this this two out of three falls stipulation would have popped a little bit more if i don't know you didn't do multiple two out of three falls matches every (laughs) week on your free television programming i don't know Right, right. Throwing it out there. Um, Tampa Bay Times caught up with Seth Rollins. Uh, He commented on critics of his on-screen relationship with Becky, and he said, I think those critics might be a little jealous. I think think that's where a lot of this stems from. I mean, if I'm a dude and I'm watching TV and I have a crush on Becky Lynch, I'm probably not going to be fond of the guy who's dating her either. So I get that. We have such great chemistry. I think it's funny that people think we don't. Either way, it amuses me. To which I say, I think you're right. And that's why I don't think that they should have put you and Becky together. Because I think it took away a little bit from what they had individually. It was weird. I read this quote. I was like, I agree with your assessment. We should not put you with Becky Lynch. Yeah. I mean, like, there are some great actual on-screen relationships that have, you know, like, obviously everybody loves, you know, probably, you know, Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. um, But but yeah, but you know, I mean, obviously, Miss Elizabeth, she wasn't a wrestler. She was, she was a valet, you know. But when, yeah, when you have, when you have two people who happen to be, you know, top in their respective divisions, and you, and and they're dating, and you, and then you want to acknowledge that and put that on screen, that doesn't do much favors because, like, look, I mean, it goes back to you know, just the basic mentality, you know, the some of the best babyface males in pro wrestling are the guys that all the girls want to be with, and the guys that all the guys want, you know, wish they could be like, you know. So then when you start throwing in so then when you take becky lynch who and you and you and you have her acknowledged as, as seth's girlfriend and now she's the one who's going uh going out with seth and you know that that can affect everybody's perception and then the viewers and everything i, I yeah it's, it's Seth's spot on here and it just goes back to the question of why why the hell they thought this was a great idea to do i don't know 
Yeah. Um, well, we brought up The Rock at the Performance Center uh, yesterday, earlier. Uh, it sounds like former WWE Tag Team Champion Mike Mondo of the Spirit Squad also there working as a guest trainer right now uh, at the Performance Center. A big Mike Mondo fan. He's helped out a lot of guys on the independent scene. He's, a, he's the perfect kind of guy to be in that role right now. Um, and I was just happy to hear that. Isn't that cool? You walk into the PC one day, you're like, oh, cool, Mike, good to see you again. Holy crap, The Rock is waiting for reception right now. What's going on, Rock? What a fun place. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, have you ever been there? Have you been there? Before? I have, I have not. I've been, I've been invited, uh, in every, the last, cause I was only in Orlando for like an hour and a half when we went down to Daytona beach, but I haven't, I haven't been, I haven't been to Orlando recently. I should. It's a, it's a great place. I mean, I think somewhere on the world of YouTube, I, I have a, like a video tour and you know, went around and with Matt Bloom and such. It is a pretty cool place. And yeah, I mean, just it's cool enough to be in there for all the things they have. And then, then all of a sudden you just, you know, bump into random people like that, that, you know, Hey, hey, there's the rock. Hey, what's going on? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a fun place. That's a fun place to be for a, for a random, you know, Wednesday or Thursday on the week. Uh, Well, Sarah Logan shared off some impressive photos uh, recently before and after of her physique. Uh, She has credited the hybrid performance method uh, for improving her physique. And yeah, I mean, I noticed it, in her singles match against, uh, she faced Bailey, yes. right? I was like, yeah. I was like, Sarah Logan looks very, very trim. She she put that together pretty quick. Yeah, no, I, you're exactly. I'm right there with you. That that singles match she had a few weeks ago on Raw. Um, uh, I remember, yeah, the same thing. It was like, you know, and it's it's, it's a little tricky because like it's a little tricky to like comment on that on Twitter because like I thought choosing your words about you know a female performer having lost some weight like you know make sure you know people just the way they interpret things but I, I noticed that right off the way i was like she she really looked like she had um she had been doing something and, and in, yeah, in pretty quick fashion like i mean it, it, it seems like it was just a matter of like a month and all of a sudden she looked like she's going through a bit of a physical transformation yeah so good for her you know i hope at least uh, you know it again it's a it's a cosmetic business isn't that what they say justin cosmetic business that we're in so it always helps yeah, to I mean, your best your body your body is your uh, number one vehicle so uh, Nikki Bella and Artem, I can't pronounce this guy's last name, Chig, Chig, Chigvinitz, Artem Chigvinitz, her Dancing with the Stars uh, partner, well, they have made their relationship official. They released an intimate dance video to Rita Ora's Let, Your, Let You Love Me single yesterday. It's, uh, you know, if you watch Total Bellas, like I do, uh, you know that last season ended with her riding off on a motorcycle with Artem. Very unexplained. I think we're going to get a lot more from these, uh, these two in the next Total Bella season. I don't really care. You don't care? Nah. I mean, I love, I love Nikki Bella, but I don't really care. I, I'm, I, she's not with John Cena anymore, so I don't, I don't, I don't care. And lastly, here we got a bit of AEW news. Tully Blanchard is. Uh, this was pretty cool. Tully Blanchard has been revealed as Sean Spears' new manager on the first episode of The Road to All Out. Uh, yeah, Tully's awesome. Four Horsemen. What do you think? How do you think he'll work with Sean here? I don't know. This, th- unless I missed something, which I might have. This is kind of random. Was there a previous connection here between these two, or like, was there something that led to this? Like, or was this just kind of like, no like idea. what, what, what's the story behind this? My my thought was my thought was when I saw this that it's not going to work out with Tully and Sean will fire him and then we'll bring in another legend. And I think he does a few managers before we get whoever the actual manager is. That's just a guess, but that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking when I watched that because I was like, this seems too weird. It seems an odd pairing to me. Yeah, I was just when I, I like I had to when I read that I had to like read it twice. Like what? I just it's just random. I mean like nothing against Tully or Sean. I just didn't I didn't know. I was like maybe there's something I'm just not aware of. Maybe there's some kind of a connection. Like I didn't know like like what it took to Tully help train him or something. And I was like no that can't be. I don't know. It's just really really random out of nowhere. 
My guest this time is a former WWE Cruiserweight champion who recently made his return to Impact Wrestling. He's going to be heading to Manila this October for PWR's homecoming. It's TJP. TJP, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with me here today. Of course. It's my pleasure. Uh, well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, this is a really cool deal. Uh, tell me a little bit about this. Uh, your mother is from Manila, so this is a, a bit of a homecoming here for you. Uh, what does it mean to be heading back to uh, or heading to Manila here for this big PWR show? <laughs> uh, it's funny the context of the timing of our first question because I just got done telling you before we started that my mom was from Chicago too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Sorry, I was doing my research uh, no. online. I have my I have my notes. I have my notes from online, and then I have what I heard 30 seconds before we started the interview. <laughs> oh, no, it's just funny context in, in my own head because of the, the, the patterns of on- and off-air convos taking place consecutively. Um, yeah, my mom uh, is from Manila, uh, and uh, I, I recently got to go back in April, and I was over there on an Asian tour. Um, I visited Taiwan and Manila, and uh, I had some meetings uh pertaining to wrestling while uh, I had some downtime and uh, I worked on organizing, uh, being able to come back out for a show. Uh, and uh, this PWR uh, card that's coming up in October is, is one of the events that, that we're hoping to uh, to set a date and get done. And, and thankfully we did. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. What's your mom think? Is she going to come watch you wrestle there? I, I hope so. I, I think I'm going to go out early and uh, be out for, maybe a week or so, and, and uh, I'll have some work to do, but hopefully I'll be able to have some family uh, come with me. And then there's also some family out there that I, I missed the last time that I was that I was out there. And uh, so hopefully I'll be able to get everybody together and um, it'll be a family affair. Yeah, you seem like a bit of a rock star down there because, like, in the Instagram video release, it was the video, the very the very slickly produced uh, talent announcement video, but it was also the, the live audience getting to see this announcement and hearing their reaction and everything. What does it mean to you to, 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 to get that kind of reaction there? Um, well, I so I, I had put out a message recently when the video was released because then it was uh, a lot of the reaction videos were were put up, which I didn't expect. It was kind of like, you know, like the reaction videos for like a, like a field goal in like the NFL playoffs or something. They show like bars of fans having meltdowns or like, you know, getting really excited if it's their team. And um, so I, a lot of these reaction videos started coming in and I realized what, like how big of a deal it was for them. Cause I mean, you, I don't normally think I'm, I'm in those terms. So, um, you know, I, I knew that it would be kind of a special thing, but I didn't realize the effect it would have. Um, so when I, when I heard all of that, and I was able to see it in, in the, the post that I put, <laughs> I had mentioned that like it kind of, brought me to tears a little bit and uh i mean that's the truth i mean i teared up just like kind of seeing because you you know you forget like what kind of effect you could have on people in your day-to-day life yeah absolutely well what is what is the pro wrestling scene like in manila what do you what do you know about pwr well uh i pwr's got a pretty I, i've been watching some pwr stuff uh for a little while now um and i follow a lot of the guys uh, through their socials and things like that. And the thing is, the scene in uh, Manila is just not very big. And um, I wanted to try to help, uh, you know, boost the, the wrestling scene out there. And um, uh, I know that I was interested just on a personal level and being able to work with that group and with a lot of those guys. Um, I, I like some of the stuff that they're doing. And I, I don't think that they uh, get the exposure that they really 
deserve for like their talent level and their creativity level. So, um, you know, they, they really don't have much, uh, out there in terms of volume. And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, as they grow, I can be a part of it. And if there's a way that I can help out, then, you know, that's also a goal of mine is to see if I can help out in any way that I can. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you know, every territory kind of has the audience. They like different things. What do you think fans in Manila want? What do you think, uh, kind of pro wrestling they like? Well, um, it, it, Filipinos are very, uh, I don't want to say like trendy, but like, uh, they're very in tune with a lot of what's going on in the world. So they like to, um, they're really open and outgoing and like try to adopt a lot of different, uh, uh, qualities and cultures and stuff. So like the wrestling scene out there is no different, just like with any other art form, like the music out there, like yeah. the acting and stuff, you know, they, they, uh, they emulate just, you know, everything they see mainstream, like, and a lot of what, you know, we do here in the USA, um, so the wrestling is, in my opinion, still, or not still, but like, it's very modern in nature and they, they have a lot of uh, contemporary style to it, which is pretty cool because it, it feels very in line with everything that's going on, uh, especially with like the indie scene uh, in America or like, say, in uh, the UK or something like that. And uh, I just think that they just don't have enough eyes on it. And uh, hopefully, you know, as they grow, that'll, that'll change. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the other things uh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you you had that awesome, like I said, that that epic talent announcement trailer. Who did you work with to to produce that? <laughs> um, actually, uh, that was produced and shot all on my phone, hmm. and I edited that myself. Really? How'd you do the crane shot? Like, there's obviously somebody like moving around there, like while you're sitting on the bleachers and stuff like that. Um. So I just had a, uh, a secondary fellow in the gym that was with me that, that I had a, I had I taught him how to walk very steady and uh, he, I just handed him my phone for it. So yeah, I just tried to get really creative with it and um, and kind of make it simple in nature. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, I wanted to make I, I was with, working with um, uh, my my booking manager on it and he's he's uh, done a lot of work to help put together like. Uh, with the show in the Philippines and um, yeah, he said uh, we, we need to shoot like a little uh, promo or an announcement for it. And at first I was like, well, I could just do like a typical like selfie video or something, or kind of like what the rock would do, like, you know, when he's in the gym or something and he gives like an update on a project he's on. But I thought maybe that's a little bit plain and I wanted to see if I could get creative with it. And I don't know, it just took an afternoon and that's what I came up with. So uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised because I'm not very good with <laughs> video graphic work or anything like that. Wow, that's crazy, man. Like, it, you know, what? it's interesting, you know, as you look at the generation before yours and, you know, where we're at now, how important do you think it is for pro wrestlers to be able to do those kinds of skills? I mean, is it like a, a necessary piece of knowledge you have to have now to be thriving in the business? I mean, I don't think it's necessary but i think that it's more important than people think if you can offer uh yourself in artistic ways like that because uh you know it's just it's another medium for you to be creative and to to find a way to carve whatever mark you want to leave for this you know and, and like i had said uh previously and i've said it in a lot of interviews recently like now being back like freelance and everything everybody's so creative now and everybody's like full-on entrepreneurs and very in command of their own brand and and uh who they want to be and how they want to do business and so things like that are maybe not a necessary element but it's a layer that is becoming so common now that 
if that's a skill that you have or you can develop, then, I mean, sky's the limit of what you can do. I mean, everybody saw, like, <laughs> everybody saw what, what Mox did with, you know, a simple trailer video and, uh, and how much that moved. And, of course, he is who he is, but, like, people on all levels could benefit from that if you just kind of think outside the box. I mean, for me, like, took, I took an hour on my cell phone to shoot that thing, and, you know, it, it, it created a huge... Uh, you know, emotional connection for, for the people it was meant to reach. Yeah, man. That's, that's awesome. I had no idea you did that on your own. That's good. Good job, man. <laughs> um, you are. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, now you also returned to impact wrestling recently. Uh, how did your impact return come about? Um, well, they, uh, I had, uh, they had been one of the first, people to kind of reach out and I, I touched base with a lot of different um you know places that could be potential landing spots for me um pretty much all of them but uh to varying degrees but they had more of an idea of what they would want to do kind of immediately and, and uh an idea of what their schedule was looking like and there's one other place that was kind of similarly reaching out to me that um that that i hope will uh all unfold pretty pretty quickly here which is pretty cool okay um but you know and they they offered a lot of freedom for me and uh they had an idea and um you know i just want to wrestle so i wasn't uh i was just looking forward to to getting back in and and i really i really really like their roster and what they've built now you know like it's kind of like like if i compare being a freelance wrestler to like nba free agency I'm, they're like a team that is just reloaded and they've got a ton of stars. So it's like, why, why wouldn't you want to be a part of something that is operating from a clean slate and they've reloaded so well. And um, the thing that excited me the most about it is just in the few shows that I've seen being back there now, um, there's like no separation with the way that the roster and the cards are built. Like people that, open shows one night will close them the next night hmm. and it could be anybody like their women's division can close the show. The tag division can close the show, the heavyweights, the X division, all the, everybody's, everybody's that caliber. So it, it's pretty incredible. I've never really seen a place that is stacked to that level where there's literally nobody that's beneath any other person. So I thought that was pretty cool. What'd you think of the decision to have Sammy and Tessa close <laughs> anniversary instead of uh, the title match? Um, you know, I'm not really old fashioned in the way that, uh, I feel like, like the title match has to go on last. I just, I think that, uh, you know, with, um, I mean, it's, it, it's this, the way that entertainment is produced, like it could go in any order, you know, it's very subjective. And then also even with sports, like, um, a boxing card or a fighting card, like, the light heavyweight title match might close the show instead of the heavyweight title match. Like there's no, I, I don't think that there's a necessarily a, a, like a necessary sense of trying to place one ahead of the other. And I thought that the tension and story that they had was, I mean, it, it was amazing. It was fitting. So, and both of them are just, they're world-class. And I thought that they put on an amazing match. It's funny because earlier in the night I, I told the the other women's match that went on, I said, you guys, like, you crushed it. Nobody's going to be able to follow you guys. And then, like, Tessa went out with Sammy, and I was like, all right, well, 
they did <laughs> and uh but everybody did you know the the world title match i thought was was incredible i was uh i remember thinking that that was going to be really great when i saw the finish to the television episode previously where they kind of had their encounter and i thought man it's going to be pretty epic and, and just knowing elgin and cage a little bit like i knew that they were going to deliver something that you know, it would be hard to follow. Yeah. Well, you uh, you set the stage there with the rest of uh, some of the uh, the current X Division talent. I believe this was referred to as an X Division showcase of sorts on commentary. Um, is that where you see yourself right now in Impact? Are you looking to 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 gun for the X Division Championship? Um, I just want to get in where I fit in. You know, um, I don't really have like a specific goal in mind. I just uh, it's a place where, like I said, everybody on the roster is so capable of doing amazing things. So it doesn't really matter what match I think I end up in because like the sky's the limit for any of those matches. So it doesn't, it's not really one of those situations where I feel like this is the goal I need to make. Cause I feel like every single one of those would be goals that I would write down, like every single person and every single, uh, you know, division or whatever. So if that's the case, obviously there's a ton of matches there, like, you know, Swan, um, uh, Johnny and, and obviously the stuff with Ace and, you know, these, these different matchups would be cool to make, but, you know, any other match would be cool to make too. Cage, Elgin, all these other guys. So, you know, I'm looking forward to whatever uh, comes down the pipeline. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, you're a former X Division champion, former WWE <clears throat> Cruiserweight champion. You know, for you, what is the difference between those two divisions? Um, You know, I always thought that the, uh, the X Division was like – it affected the social culture of wrestling during the 2000s the same way that the WCW Cruiserweight division affected the wrestling culture like when I was first starting. Because, right. um, you know, I'd meet people, I'd meet and greets and stuff. To this day, I still do. There'll be like young fans, maybe in their mid-20s or something, they say they grew up on, you know, the X Division, the stuff they saw in 04, 05, 06, and all that. Yeah. And, uh, and really, like, during that time, you know, TNA was in such a place where it was like, like a, the hot trendy thing. Like, and I don't, I think we're so far, the generation is so far removed from it now that people forget that like the type of like trendiness that the AEW has now is like what TNA had for a little bit. And a lot of that was rooted because of the X division and it made it special. And I always thought like historically that's going to go down as something that really kind of changed um, the wrestling business, because then you started seeing places like regional companies make their own X division of their own no limits title or something. When I started seeing that, I started kind of realizing that like we're actually kind of changing the way people view wrestling historically now, yeah. because this is really affecting the culture of it. Yeah, yeah, and and how does that compare with uh, what what do you think the, the cruiserweight division is over in WWE? How would you define that? I guess. So I think that what is important for that is that it opened the doors for a generation of guys that fit a certain stature that didn't have an opportunity, generally speaking, for maybe like 10 years, you know, because there's a period of time, like during the period of time when I was homeless, that was the time I went down to FCW and, and was tr trying to kind of get in with WWE at that time. And it was like, I mean, that, just, that's just in like 2008 or nine. And that it's like, it was unheard of for somebody like my size to get in. Like 
only one or two guys would get in, like say a Tyson Kidd or like a Matt Seidel. And then they were considered a novelty because of what they were. And that was it. They felt like we got our one guy or two guys of this stature and that's all we need. True. So I think historically what will go down as why this was important, mostly from like the CWC is that it now opened the doors for guys like say Cedric to be on raw or like the Lucha house party to be, you know, doing what they're doing because now it's not even about cruiserweight wrestling. It's just allowing guys of a certain stature to have like real opportunities. And it started out by just being part of the division. Uh, other than you, who they obviously rallied around very early in that division, the uh, the other big name to to really break out has been Ali. What do you think of the success that he's found? Are you surprised by it? No, not really. I, it doesn't surprise me really for any of the guys. That's kind of why um, I made it a point to mention the night of the finals when when they asked me to speak. You know, after the the final, like they didn't give me a notes or a script or anything. They said, "Well." we're going to let you talk to you talk about whatever. And, you know, I thought about maybe talking about my family or my career or whatever, but it was important for me to address that like all 30 guys could have been in, in that position and that everybody is capable of being able to break out and do, you know, what everybody's starting to individually do. So none of it really surprised me because I thought every single person would be able to do that. And as we went on, like there's a lot of kind of unsung heroes of guys that were able to find their niche that people don't realize the success that they reached, you know, quickly or quietly, like say the Singh brothers, you know, they found like important roles on one of the main shows. Uh, Maverick, who obviously he wasn't like part of the CWC, but same thing, Leo Rush, same deal. Like there's guys that really found um, very quickly where they could apply their skills. And these are all, you know, technically cruiserweight people. Yeah, you know, uh, speaking of niches, speaking of cruiserweights, uh, any chance you think we see suicide back in Impact Wrestling? <laughs> um, man, I get asked that question a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll answer it. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I I think that it was uh, such a cool character because like, there's not, you know, there's like Kane, but there's not a lot of like masked, you know, American characters like like say a tiger mask or like, you know, a Santo or Ray Mysterio or something that, you know, other wrestling cultures have like Mexican wrestling, Japanese wrestling, like Liger, stuff like that. Um, I thought suicide for a period of time was pretty cool. That it was, it was one of those things, like at least for, you know, American wrestling that had its own little like folklore and, you know, obviously different guys interchanged through the mask and stuff like that. Um, so I think it'd be really cool for it to come back. I think it'd be really cool for it to come back in, in its original form. Um, and, you know, I don't know. Like, it's been so long since I've seen it really in full gear that uh, I don't know how it would, how well it would fit in. But, you know, that's the beauty of art is that, you know, if you can make it work, then, then it'll be awesome. But I, I would personally like to see it because selfishly it was an important part of my history. Of, you know, so yeah. and I know a lot of fans kind of miss it, so. Cool. Uh, cool. Awesome. Uh, and, you know, talking about returns here, it sure seemed it sure seemed a lot like Rhino returned at Slammiversary. I know that he was there. There was someone under a mask. Uh, but if it were to be Rhino that was under that mask, uh, how uh, how risky is that for somebody under a WWE 90 day non-compete to, to do something like that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, technically, I 
started wrestling after a like 71 day no compete clause but uh so it's it's sort of a gray area and i don't know i mean i think a lot of guys just kind of do what they do and uh yeah it's more like they'd rather say they're sorry than ask for permission does that make any sense uh that's that's just sort of a quiet golden rule that i think all wrestlers have i think we all like to test the test our boundaries or whatever but but you know everybody's situation is different like in my case i went to work early but like it was amicable so i was it was cool like yeah they were fine with it but (laughs) so i don't know how uh how it is for everybody else okay well fair uh now uh you know also since we've talked you know there was that moxley interview with jericho you know, I know that it. You know, based off our last conversation, it doesn't sound like a lot of uh, the same unrest you had was there. But how, you know, more generally, how does Impact's creative structure compare to to the structure you had in WWE? Uh, well, it's a lot smaller in terms of like delegation. It feels like um, <clears throat> everybody's kind of sitting at the table more equally. Uh, I think in that regard, the team structure works better because when there's a team. But then there's multiple layers of delegation for that team and like multiple layers of like checks and balances, then it gets too muddled because the creative process needs to be more fluid, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm all for, you know, giving guys freedom to kind of flesh out their own ideas and stuff like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I, I also understand and I also believe in that sometimes guys mess up their own art with too much freedom. So. I, I also understand that part of it, but I think that the difference between the two and I think what makes, in my opinion, like impact storytelling at the moment so strong is because they do work in the team atmosphere, but it, there's less checks and balances and it's all equal. And, you know, there's less people at the table, but they're they're not having to answer to the same amount of layers as, as you would see in WWE. I got you. And, and did anything else he said from that podcast, did it resonate with you? Were you like, you know, uh, I, I, I do, I do remember things being like that. I'm sorry. Say that again. Did anything from the Moxley Jericho interview, did, did any of other that resonate with your experience from WWE or was this like hearing like a completely different story from what yours was? Uh, no, I mean, a lot of it was pretty similar. Um, a lot of it's pretty similar. Some, some things are going to be different because, you know, Mox was in a position different than me. You know, he is who he is, and, and there's a different level to what he's working with and dealing with than what I am. But a lot of it was pretty much the same. Um, and, you know, a lot of how people see their own frustrations is different, too. Like, um, you know, so, and this isn't necessarily a Moxley thing, but some guys in that same position a lot of the frustration comes from being told no. Yeah. Um, I, I don't get frustrated with being told no. So for me, when stuff like that comes up, I don't feel bad about it. Cause it's, you know, it's not my investment. And, you know, that's, that's up to them. I can just put something on the table. That, it's up to them to take it. But um, I wasn't really, the parts where it differs, I wasn't really asked to do anything that I was necessarily uncomfortable with. Um, some stuff I disagreed with. Like I didn't really like the gamer lingo and stuff like that. That was kind of being shoehorned into scripts, but, um, but that's like a different level of frustration than some of the stuff creatively that say Mox was, was, uh, you know, frustrated with. So, um, you know, I did recognize a lot of it and it was a lot of similar experiences. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, so I'll you know, wrap it up here at impact wrestling. Do you feel heard? You know, what are, what are your big goals here? 
uh, not just an impact, but I guess going forward. Uh, well, I, I'm still trying to fly to that landing for a while, but um, I, uh, I really like uh, what I've done so far in impact. Uh, like I said, they have a hell of a team and um, you know, I, there's, I've discovered a lot of stuff that I hope to be able to do there, you know, uh, follow is really a, uh, interesting and talented fellow, yeah. and uh, we share a kinship being uh, Filipino. So I'd I'd love to be able to work with and do stuff with him, you know, creatively. Oh, and uh, there's a lot of matches there to be made. So I hope that you know, even if I'm not there for a long time, and maybe I will, I don't know. But uh, for whatever time I do have there, I hope that I can make some some matches that uh that I've come to find that you know would be fun to make. Willie Mack one of my best friends in wrestling. I'd love to get back in with him. Uh, Swan, it's good to see him again and share the locker room with him. So there's a lot of stuff that I hope to do there. Man, you and Fala, that would be great. He's hilarious. <laughs> in a perfect world, we could be uh, the Filipino Los Guerreros. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. Okay. Wow, good tease. Well, uh, I, do, I, do, I do know that we hit it off pretty much immediately because, you know, that's just how Filipinos roll. So, so the the chemistry is definitely there. I will say, I got to play. I was at one of the Impact VIP events. I think we played bingo together or something like that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a big Pokemon Go player. Me and my girlfriend are real nerdy like that. And uh, uh, I named one of my Pokemon Falaba, one of my bigger guys. And I showed it to him, and he like was very touched by that. And I thought that was very cool <laughs> that he didn't make fun of me about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 a good dude, man. He's he's uh, very soft in nature and and uh, and a typical Filipino, very outgoing and 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 nice and accepting and grateful. <laughs> very cool, man. Uh, well, TJ, where do you want to send people to find you, follow you, support you, all those other things? Well, uh, you can still find me on my socials. My Twitter and Instagram is at megatjp and. Um, uh, detonationkick.com has my tour dates and a lot of stuff has been added and some surprise stuff is going to be announced soon. I think, uh, from the May through November period, I had like 73 dates scheduled. Um, not all of them are listed, but most of them are. And, uh, so, again, some updates have come up. So, uh, chances are I will be in whoever's area at some point soon. So if you check, you can find it there. My guest at this time is a pro wrestler and the personal videographer WWE's Ali. You can find him here in Chicago at Freelance Wrestling. It's Craig Mitchell. Craig, thank you very much for time taking the taking the time to talk with me today. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, Craig. You know, it's great because I know you. We're friendly, and we get to talk pro wrestling here on the show. You are doing some incredible work right now uh, with uh, with Ali and WWE, and we're going to get to that here in just a second. But I know you. I knew you before you were a videographer as a pro wrestler. Like, what made you want to become a pro wrestler, Craig? So, I mean, I, I've always been, I mean, everybody, the same story that everybody always says. I've always been in pro wrestling. I've been, you know, into wrestling since I was a little kid. So, uh, once I got the ability to start to train, I figured there's, you know, you know, you can't, you know, just silence that, I guess, that dream if you want to give it a shot. So, as soon as I turned 18, I think I went right in and just started training right away. So, I mean, I think it was just always kind of something I, I figured I could do, and I never actually expected it to last as long as it's, as it's gone now. I mean, 10 years in now, so I guess it's a little bit of a ride. Yeah, man. Well, you're getting to have bigger matches now. You're looking good, too, by the way. Like, physically, you're t- you seem to be taking pretty good care of yourself right now. 
you know, I, uh, yeah. And I think, yeah, go ahead. But I was going to say, like, I think right now I'm kind of hitting a stride where, you know, some things are starting to click and I think all the time and, you know, the hard work that I put in over the last 10 years, it's starting to actually kind of, you know, put me in a position where I feel more comfortable where I'm at and, the style of matches I'm putting on and everything. So certain, you know, it's really paying off. Well, and here's the thing is, so describe to a fan right now who's, who's listening to you for the first time, like who is Craig Mitchell? What kind of a wrestler? Who are you? So I think like personally, what I'm doing now is kind of what I've always been a fan of. So more of like a big fight thing. So, you know, every style of wrestling has its place. You know, you have your technical wrestling, you have your high flying stuff. So I've always been a fan of like, you know, the Japan style, like big, strong style fighting. I've always been a fan of that. Even more of like the hardcore stuff, like Necro Butcher, just his matches where, you know, from the beginning to the end, it's more of a fight. And I think if I were to describe myself, I'm kind of, you know, I bring that. I like kind of like more of a brawl fight style, but at the same time, I can kind of do a little bit of everything. So if you were to see me for the first time, you might see that I'm, uh, I'm a little bit bigger for, you know, a bigger guy, but, I move, you know, just as well as some of the cruiserweight guys. But at the same time, it's more of a uh, a fight for your life kind of thing in a match with me. So I I think that's kind of my style. It's kind of like a blend between the, the strong style, you know, blow for blow, brawling. But I can also mix it up and do the high flying and the lucha and everything like that. So I, I kind of just try to keep myself well-rounded. You know, and, you know, again, I met you here through freelance wrestling. And I, I'm a big freelance wrestling fan here. You know, talk to me a little bit about like the crew and the history of freelance wrestling uh, and, uh, you know, what's going on with the product right here in Chicago now. So freelance wrestling is kind of an interesting thing. So the way it started, I mean, there's, there's a couple different avenues. If you're looking to, you know, think of the history of the way this company started, honestly, it started as a, uh, you know, an idea, you know, not to rip on an idea that, you know, companies like beyond had had in the past, but it was, it was something where it was like, what if we could put on matches, you know, for the wrestlers. So, so kind of a company that gives an opportunity to up and coming guys, but, you know, at the beginning, the major market was other guys up and coming in wrestling. So we were able to get together as a small group. And I believe one of the first ever shows we ever did was just kind of like a studio taping kind of thing. We were just going to release it on the internet. So, you know, a kind of like by the wrestler for the wrestler kind of company. And then it kind of turned into, you know, well, in the area, a lot of the opportunities were being constantly given to guys that were already on the up. So for us that were trying to make a name for ourselves, we needed a place that was going to be able to give us an opportunity and it was going to be able to give us, you know, you know, some trust in the fact that we could do something positive in this world of professional wrestling. And, you know, just because we didn't have the years behind us, you know, it didn't mean that we you know, couldn't take that, take that ball and run with it a bit. So freelance was kind of giving opportunities to guys that were on, you know, the up and coming that maybe some other one, you know, didn't give another look at. And I think that's kind of also very true to like punk rock and, you know, coming up in that, you know, kind of that kind of environment and kind of a DIY world. So I think the punk rock environment mixed with pro wrestling is kind of what it turned into, especially in the early Abbey days. It kind of felt like you were going to like a punk hardcore show yeah. mixed with wrestling and there was bands that played and everything and it was it was kind of its own thing and then it kind of more became about the wrestling but the thing that stayed true to it was freelance was always a place that was willing to give an opportunity to somebody even if you'd never heard of them you know somebody that can you know come in and grow a bit so i think that was the good thing that you know they've always stayed true 
Well, and then the crew, it's always kind of stayed the same. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. No, talk about the crew. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's where I was leading. Yeah. Yeah, so the crew, it started obviously with Nick. So Nick Almendares, he's, he's a creator of freelance wrestling. And then, you know, I would say the crew is kind of very similar to that exact group we started training with. So it would be me, Chris Castro, uh, Dominic, so Domi, uh, Alex Olson. And then there were a few other guys in kind of like the early beginnings. But those were like the mainstay guys, even like Stevie and Chris as well. Like a lot of the guys that at the same, you know, starting point in 2014, when we all kind of got together to do these shows. Uh, we were all on the secret taping shows, but then on the first few, maybe like six shows, that was like the core roster. Yeah. And it was a lot of the guys that we all grew up training with at the same time. So I guess you could say our training school at that time. So, and I guess when we were all, you know, trying to get, you know, booked in the area, we were kind of getting booked in the same matches over and over again, just students versus students. And after about a year or two of doing that, yeah. you know, we kind of wanted to see if there was a way we can kind of, you know, break out a bit and kind of show what we could do. And freelance wrestling kind of was that. And, you know, it's interesting too, because I remember when freelance, uh, you know, started at the Abbey, you know, AAW has obviously been the big dog here in Chicago forever. And freelance wrestling did it. It created that opportunity for other talents to, to get a chance to, to break out in the area. I feel like in the past five years, since freelance kicked the door open, I mean, Chicago, it's like craft brewery. You can't go three blocks without another company here in Chicago right now. I mean, do you feel like freelance wrestling really opened the door for Chicago to become, you know, the very vibrant, fertile pro wrestling territory it's been? Because I remember before freelance, because I I was doing managing pre-freelance, it was a totally different story, man. Chicago was a place where everybody left. Everybody left the city. They went East Coast or West Coast to try to, to get over, I feel like once again now Chicago is a place to be and break out as a as a pro wrestler again. One hundred percent. So what freelance was able to do was it was able to combine three avenues that I think, you know, some companies either had one or they had the other, but freelance had all three. So what freelance was able to do was it came out, you know, obviously there were other companies running, but freelance was able to put it into kind of like a party environment. So one thing they did really well is they put it inside of like a bar or 21 and over environment. And it kind of, you know, it allowed it to be a little bit more aggressive, but you had the party aspect to it. You had the bar and everything. So that was one good thing. They had really solid venue choice. The other thing, and we can credit Jack for this was the production value was very high. So the presentation of the content, although it might not have been the best content you've ever seen on the planet. And let's be realistic here. There's always been better wrestling, but the way it was presented to the fans through the highlight videos and the very, very high end, camera work that jack was able to do it was able to just you know it it was able to blow people away and it actually felt fresh compared to just like a a static you know hard cam shot that most companies were kind of putting out you were able to watch the footage on the dvd and you actually felt like you were at the show and then the third thing is there was always fresh talent so you never felt like it was a stale i've seen that i've seen this so they were able to take those three things and kind of put them all together with the solid venue, great presentation, not even just on the cameras, but like the environment was great. And then you always had, you know, you had your guys you liked, but then you always had this new fresh talent kind of rolling through and it made the whole show feel very like new every show, even if it was the same, you know, you know, same venue, it was fresh, exciting every single time because you always kind of had someone new you can get your eyes on. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the AEW freelance like relationship? I, I think, you know, in Chicago, it's something that's really talked about here. You know, AEW, 
won't really book freelance talent, you know, correct? Like, there's like a little bit of a wall there. Do you wish that would change? Do you mean, do you mean AAW? AAW, yeah, not AEW, AAW, yeah. yeah. Just, the AEW and freelance's relationship, I, I wish it was just, I wish it was more existent, but AAW, so I don't, and I can only speak to this kind of how I know, and I, I look at it from, I take the personal sides out of it, because I really don't think that there's too much personal, you know, negativity between the two, at least I hope not, but I think from a business aspect, I get it, because if AEW is trying to put on the best show possible, and freelance is trying to put on the best show possible, and there may be a weak part, but they have the exact same talent. There could be a little bit of pick and choose. But on the other end of that, I think that Chicago fans are very dedicated. And I think they like what they like, and they'll go to whatever show regardless. So yes. if I was on a show Friday, but then next Friday I was also on an AAW show, if people really liked me, I guess I'm a bad example here, but, but if it was like someone like Kylie <laughs> Ray okay. or, you know, yeah, someone like that, like you would go to both. And But I do get it. So I guess, you know, with Danny – and how um, he runs his shows, I, you know, from a business standpoint, I totally understand it. Totally get it. So, but I think the fans maybe have sparked up a little bit more of what they feel is kind of like a rivalry between the two. But at the end of the day, two totally different products. They run in the same area, and they both do very, very well. So obviously, you know, it's, it's all good for both. Now, I get in the oversaturated market in Chicago, it's very hard for companies to kind of break out right now. We have a lot of companies that start and you know, maybe they don't finish when they should, or they just keep running shows with 10, 15 people. That's, you know, that's the reality of the situation. There is a ton in the area, but between the two, I think they've both found their corner of pro wrestling in the area. And they both have a way of presenting their content yeah. and their brand to where it's not hurting each other. At least I hope it's not. So I think that's where they're at with that. I, I'm with you. I mean, I guess, you know, I understand the diversity and roster, but I, I'm with you. I think that the the Chicago fans here right now, they are just rabid, right? I mean, they're going to everything. I, I don't really know how much it hurts, but uh, I do hear about it. The growing pains of talent and having to deal with the, the headaches of, oh, I can't work here. Oh, I don't want to piss anybody off, right? So. Yeah, no, and I totally get that. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I think if, you, if you're an outside, I mean, if you're a Chicago-grown person and you only really work one area in Chicago, I get it. I kind of do the same. I'm trying to ease into where I'm just mainly working one place in Chicago so that I can work, you know, as, elsewhere. But if you're, you know, you're a careered person where your whole entire life is based on where you work and, you know, being able to make money on the road doing that, and you're given an opportunity to work somewhere down the road in Chicago as well, I do see where they would run into frustration because at the end of the day, you know, aside from, you know, loving to do what you do, it is about what's going to support you and your family. So if you get two opportunities in the same area and you can take both, I would think you should be able to. But if someone's telling you you can't, I think that's where the frustrations lie because at the end of the day, you're, you're really the CEO of your own independent company. You know, because you, your brand, yourself is how you're going to make money. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting time for pro wrestling right now with all the big companies handing out, you know, these big deals and all that. You know, we, we hear about it all the time, you know, how much money these top talents are making. But you're a guy on the bubble here that's trying to break out right now on the independent scene. Like, how, how does it feel to be where you are positioned right now, knowing how vibrant the pro wrestling scene is getting at the moment? It feels good because I feel like, I mean, I am, I mean, I'll be realistic. I'm not. You know, I'm not creating something that's never been done. I'm not reinventing the wheel. But at the same time, I'm going out there and I'm staying very true to myself and the idea that I'm doing the kind of matches I like to do. I'm keeping my, you know, my overall professional attitude very grounded and humbled. So any good opportunity that I get, 
I, at the end of the day, I realized that like, I, you know, I do deserve what I worked very hard for, but I do understand also that there is so much, there is so many people all fighting for the same opportunity and stuff. Mm -hmm. So anything I get that puts me in a great place or gets any eyes on me, I'm very, very appreciative of it. And I think, you know, being on the bubble, it's kind of cool because you kind of be on the outside and kind of see all of what's going on. And you can kind of, I don't know, say pick and choose, but you can kind of like, you know, have something to shoot for. So if you're looking for, you know, X, Y, and Z in the world of professional wrestling, being in the bubble, you can kind of see from the outside what you're looking to get and you can have something to strive for. When you're, you know, number one or you're very, very, you know, deep into the world where you're, you know, someone that everybody wants and everybody needs, I can only imagine how clouded that feels. I mean, it's probably great because you're very sought after and you're a very big draw, you know, everybody wants to use you. But I wonder if at the same time that limits your creativity or if it limits your ability to kind of be more pick and choosy about what you'd like to do. Um, so I guess, I guess it's two worlds, you know, I think I'm in a position right now where I'm doing everything I like to do. I'm having a great time. And I think I'm really enjoying actually growing and, you know, obviously 10 years later, starting to actually see what works for myself. All right. Well, let's, let's pivot here a little bit. You say you're enjoying what you're getting to do. I wanted to let everybody hear you talk about freelance and, and your life as a pro wrestler. Cause we're about to flip the switch and talk about you as a videographer. When did you start loving filmmaking, Craig? So I was always kind of involved with stuff on the camera side. And then I obviously with pro wrestling, I don't get to do nearly as much. So um, I actually did quite a bit of, I mean, mostly my world, you know, was the editing. So I didn't film too much. So I was doing a lot of editing or post, you know, like every, somebody would shoot something and then I would edit it and post. And then I started getting the camera a bit more just because I like working on projects and I kind of had what I felt was like a cool eye for filming matches. So if we're looking at it just from the wrestling side, so I always was a fan of, you know, being able to combine pro wrestling with very, you know, dynamic camera work where it actually feels like you're in the fight or you're in the match and stuff like that. So I kind of always wanted to shoot more of that stuff. But, you know, with, with the pro wrestling, it's kind of hard to make a lot of time to shoot shows. And plus, if you're in the area and, you know, you've seen me wrestle on Friday and then you go to a show Saturday and I'm standing there holding the camera, it's kind of funny, right? Yeah, it's, so well, that's the I thing is you're, do... an interesting, you're an interesting guy in that regard, Craig, that you do both these things. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, it was just kind of funny. I did that for a little bit. Uh, most of the footage never got used. I kind of shot stuff for companies and gave it to them and seen if they would use it or not. But there was a lot of that funny thing going on where I'd be at a show on a Saturday filming and there'd be people like, didn't I just see you wrestle on Friday? And I'd have to just be like, shh, wasn't me. So for a while I was contemplating just being like a luchador cameraman so I could work shows and film shows, but I just wear a mask or something. So, hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, when yeah. did, when did you, uh, when did you hook up with Ali for the first time? What brought you two together? So I had shot something for Bryce Benjamin's school and uh, Ali was there one day and we kind of, you know, we're playing around with that. And then I had done some freelance uh, wrestling highlight packages and uh, I did like a, like a highlight video for Matt Nix. And like, I just did some stuff that was out there and uh, Ali had seen it and was like, you know, Hey, if you're free, I had an idea to shoot this promo. So this promo never actually aired, but we, we filmed a couple promos where he was kind of in this, you know, developmental hell area where he was kind of trying to develop what his character was going to be. This is before the light and before all that. And we filmed some stuff. 
And from there, it was kind of like really, really low end. It was just, you know, hey, basic promo, just a step above like the guy filming a promo on his cell phone. And then um, he started getting some good ideas. And I said, hey, you know, if you feel that we could film some more promos, let's let's actually take some time and let's kind of film them in a way that it feels more like a small movie rather than just here's me talking into my cell phone. And then from there, I think the idea kind of grew from that. So I think it was maybe oh, about a year and a half ago we, we met up for the first time, maybe almost close to two years. We filmed a few promos and we ended up not using them. But then after that, we started to kind of get the idea of what we were going with. And I think that first promo we ever released was the uh, This Is My Life as a Police Officer one. And I think that was the one they ended up using. Um, I think they used that on one of the pay-per-views right away. So what do you what do you what is what is the uh, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here? What does Ali want to be saying with the these kinds of these videos? What are you trying? What story are you trying to tell with Ali? So what we're trying to do, and I think you know, if you if you watch them very casually, you might not think of it so much. But what I've always said to Ali, and he's agreed in his vision as well. So like I like working with Ali because I actually believe in what he's saying, which right. is great. But the the overall what we're trying to do is we're not trying to overproduce these because i think they should feel very real because what ollie is telling you is the story it's not about swift camera work it's not about anything like that the story is what he's talking about so when we film these and this is something that i felt is very always very true and consistent how we've done them we always like to shoot eye level so we don't shoot ollie from the ground because he's not looking down and talking down to you we don't shoot him from above because the audience isn't appearing to be bigger than him. We shoot him eye level. So it feels like he's talking straight to us. Hmm. And we like to make sure that they feel very raw. So not very overly sharpened. So I think the drift and focus is great because when you're having a conversation with someone and you lose eye contact with that person or you refocus yourself, it kind of feels, you know, very real. So if you watch the promos, everything feels like a straight conversation from him to you. But the way we do it is we make sure that it feels like the subject matter of what he's talking about is the story. He just happens to be on camera. So when we do it, we don't want it to be distracting. So there's nothing in the background that's going to distract you. There's nothing too loud. It's going to just be him, his voice, and his message. And I think by doing that, we've managed to stay very real. And if you watch all the promos as you kind of go along, that's one thing that we've always tried to make sure stays very constant. It's just eye level very tight. We don't want too much space around him. We want you to be very focused on him. And I think that's been really good. And I, and I, I've always asked people, you know, what do you think of the promos? And, you know, and even guys I know that are wonderful videographers, they say, I just feel very captivated by him. So he's very in, in the center and it feels very tight. So it feels like a very intimate conversation. And I think that's always been really cool that we've managed to keep that. Now, when you made these videos initially here, was the intent to, for them to just be social media viral videos, or did you and Ali always anticipate this stuff winding up on WWE TV? We joked about it actually being picked up because they were just internet videos. Because I think one good thing about Ali is, you know, you give him a little bit of ground to work with and he'll just take the ball and run with it. So he has a lot to say, and he has a great way – and that's why I really agree with what he does. I, I, I think he has a great way of putting himself out there and being able to vocalize what he can do, not only just on the mic, but how he just puts himself into, you know, I guess the light, you could say. Like, he puts himself out in a way to where you just are super relatable. So 
I think when we started to put the videos out, it was like, hey, they're not giving me this. They're not giving me the screen time to, you know, develop my character. And what we were able to do was, fine, we'll film it. We'll put it on your Instagram. They're self-produced. If they're giving you the ability to use your social media how you want to do it, let's do it. And we joked. It was like, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be kind of funny if these videos actually get, you know, a lot of eyes on them and you can end up getting them on, like, SmackDown and stuff. And that, that ended up working out. So I think that was one of the coolest things that we were able to accomplish. Man. And that's the thing is, I guess, advice you would give to other talents is to, to go this route. I mean, look how well it's worked for him. Look how well it's worked for John Moxley working with Nick Mondo. I don't, I'm surprised that more talents are, aren't going to the lengths that, that those guys are. Yeah, and I think, like, the, the ability to cut a great promo, I mean, it, it has to be a total package, too. So if you cut a great promo, but the way it's being presented is garbage or it's poor quality or poor sound or it just doesn't draw you in as a, an interesting way of viewing it, it could fall flat. And I think that's one thing we were able to accomplish right out of the gate is we were able to, you know, what is the subject matter? Cool. We get that. Let's film it in a way to where as you're watching it, you're not bored. Even if this, you know, they are only, you know, a minute or a minute and a half, you feel like you're somehow in a, you know, a very like intimate conversation with Ali when he's talking. And I think that's what we've always tried to have. And I think a lot of guys could benefit from doing that. I mean, a lot of guys just, you know, they film a promo on their cell phone and that's, that's great and all, but it just doesn't feel captivating. If you could just take five minutes, get a guy who has a decent set of, you know, has some gear, and have them just put you in the center of the frame and actually, you know, give you a, a moment to collect yourself and actually present what you're thinking or what you're feeling in a way to where it's actually appealing to the eye. It could do wonders for you. I mean, I think that's really what, you know, what Ali was able to do was he had a great mind for putting his promos together. And I just gave him, you know, a good set of eyes to see it. And I think that's what we were able to do. Now, you guys have gone from doing these self-produced viral style. They are on WWE TV right now. Has the dynamic changed? Does WWE have influence on what you and Ali are doing now? A little bit. So I, I would say it's a vocabulary thing, for sure. We want to make sure that, you know, the words we're saying, you know, we don't want to, you know, use any kind of offensive words or anything like that. I think that's, you know, that was always kind of something we always wanted to make sure it was very clean and appealing to all. But I think the other influence would be, you know, now with this, we want to make sure that the subject matter is also approved. So we don't want to talk about anything that they deem, you know, you know, something they wouldn't want to have on TV. So I wouldn't say it's very vague, but it has to be more inclusive, especially because, you know, Ali right now is kind of representing something for a lot of people and he's in a very positive light. And to keep that rolling, I would say that the subject matter needs to be very inclusive. Yeah. How, how cool has it been getting to pull all the other freelance wrestling guys in as uh, extras and things like that? I think it's great. I think it's cool. And that was his idea, too. And I think that's uh, a testament to him. You know, he knows where he came from. Um, and he's he's always back here with us. He never forgot about any of us. And anytime he's ever had an opportunity to, you know, include us or, you know, bring us along or even talk about what he's working on, he's always come to us. So yeah. we've always felt very included. Can you talk a little bit, just uh, real quick, I know we're short on time here, but real quickly, how Ali has continued to give back to, to freelance in the Chicago pro wrestling scene? Because I know he does a lot of stuff that people will never get to see, you know? Oh, yeah. No, and I think I think that speaks to his character as a person. Like, he is the way he comes off as. He's very humble. 
he's always come back to show us stuff. He's always with training. I mean, like when he was on the 205 live schedule, he was still back every single week training with us. And a lot of people don't realize that this guy trains. He lives it. He's not just, you know, wrestling when he's on TV. He's always constantly working and training. And he's giving back to us. He shows us new stuff all the time. He's always making sure that, you know, us, you know, the people that have always been around, we also get a chance to grow and learn you know, it kind of trickles down. So as he's learning and growing, he's also giving back to us too. And he's never, ever stopped doing that for us. So we've always been very appreciative to have him. It's awesome, man. You're doing great stuff. Ali's obviously doing great stuff. You know, Craig, but I'll, I'll wrap it up here. You know, the question I usually ask guys like you that are on the bubble, like what are your goals? What are you looking to get out of this business? I mean, what what do you want to do? See, and I, and I, I guess I don't know exactly to what height. Everybody can always joke and be like, oh, I'd like to make it to the WWE. But of course, that would be, that would be wonderful. But at the end of the day, you know, where I'm at right now, um, I just always want to stay very true to what I'm doing. I always want to, I don't ever want to be doing something I hate. And I, I think where I'm at right now, just, you know, live in life. And, you know, I just want to be able to, you know, stay healthy. And, you know, I, at the end of the day, I want to be able to come home to my family and feel good. But I think as far as where I'm trying to progress in wrestling, I just want to, you know, get what I can out of staying very true to my Myself and what I, I don't ever want to be in a position where, you know, although if I do get, you know, some great success, I don't want to hate doing what I'm doing yeah. because I don't want to take an opportunity with also grinding to get to that place. And then I'm there and I hate it and I'm miserable because that's, that's, you know, that's really terrible if I'm there and someone wants to be in my position, but I'm miserable and I'm taking that from them. So I just don't want to ever do that. Well, well said. Uh, Craig, where do you want to tell people to find you, follow you, support you, all those great things online? So they can find me on social media. So uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, it's all under Craig X Mitchell. Uh, I think actually, you know, I might have dropped the X on one of them. But Craig Mitchell, if you look up on any social media, you can find me. Uh, two L's. So Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you, Justin, for joining me at the top of the show. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Thank you to TJP. Thank you to Craig. This was a lot of fun today. Uh, it's been a great week here for the Winkley uh, I should note, uh, tomorrow there will be no Winkley TV. We have discontinued the Winkley TV over the Ringside Wrestling app. We want to thank them for, for taking a shot and letting us experiment over there. Uh, but we are going to be creating more new social content here. I've got my beautiful green screen next to me. So next week, we're going to be starting to roll out some, some new uh, content for you guys as well. Winkley TV will live on in a new form, I assure you. Uh, but, uh, yes, if you do like all of our audio, you like all of our other content, you need to go over to Wrestling Inc. Audio on iTunes. Subscribe. Five-star ratings. Comments always appreciated. Um, big interviews. Next. I already know I already know who I got in the can for next week. One of them I will reveal is the nine-year-old AJ Awesome. AJ Awesome, he does, the, he does the AEW media scrims. Recorded the interview last night. It'll run next week. And uh, it is fascinating to hear what a nine-year-old thinks of the current pro wrestling landscape. A smart nine-year-old. He's like a smart Mark nine-year-old. I shouldn't even call him a Mark. He's just smart. He's just smart to the wrestling business. Anyway. And his name's not Mark. No. AJ. Great guy. Great kid. Great guy. He's nine. Guy. <laughs> Great guy. Great guy, AJ. Great guy. Took me out. Bought the rounds. Um, Justin, uh, what do you want to plug, promote, put over here before we wrap it up? I encourage people to do what you said. Leave a comment on the iTunes channel. Like, let us know what you're like. You know, do more of it. And, uh, yeah, give me the follow on the Twitter at Justin Labar. Wonderful. And, yes, I am at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you all again very much for tuning in. And remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. <laughs>